Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Next Big Thing in Health. I'm your co-host, Matt Isles. A quick note before we get started. When we recorded this episode, our guest, Dr. Bashara Shukair, was Senior Vice President and Chief Health Officer at Kaiser Permanente. Since then, Dr. Shukair has taken on a new role in the Biden administration as the White House Vaccines Coordinator. Since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, health insurance providers have taken decisive action to support our frontline healthcare workers and make sure that every American can get the health care they need. Now, with multiple COVID-19 vaccines available, health insurance providers are working to ensure that all Americans have easy access to authorized vaccines free of cost. Visit ahip.org to learn more about what health insurance providers are doing to help get Americans vaccinated. All right. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of The Next Big Thing in Health. I'm your co-host, Laura Evans. And I'm your co-host, Matt Isles. Today, we're talking with Dr. Bashara Shukair, Senior Vice President and Chief Health Officer at Kaiser Permanente. Dr. Shukair oversees the organization's efforts to address the social health of its more than 12.4 million members and the 68 million people who live in the communities they serve. Dr. Shukair joined Kaiser Permanente in 2016 and is also responsible for the organization's environmental stewardship work. Bashara, thanks for joining us today. Why don't we go ahead and just jump right in if that's all right. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me here. Good to uh, meet you, Matt, and Laura, too. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. So why don't we start maybe with um, a COVID-related question, just knowing we're uh, in the midst of all this. And and we know that we're experiencing now what experts predicted would be a, a rough winter in fighting the pandemic. And as states and cities, you know, are in the midst uh, of another surge, can you help us understand some of the dangers around household transition, knowing where we are, especially relative to the holidays? Well, thank you for um, asking and starting by asking about the household transmission issues. One of the things that we've learned early on is that many of our members who are testing positive are catching the virus from their own household and passing it to their household. So we realized very quickly that we do have to pay close attention uh, to household transmission, and we made it a key part of our uh, targeted pandemic action strategy. You know, we know that the coronaviruses are, they're known to spread by direct contact from person to person, which means that people living in the same house um, as a person with COVID-19 are at increased risk of acquiring the virus. And we've learned that uh, from a CDC study that actually showed that over half of the COVID-19 transmission happens in the household, particularly in the first five days uh, when the initial patients start having symptoms. So early on, we've made it available to all of our members who are testing positive. The moment you test positive, you have access to a, a coach that you can engage with on the phone. And this coach will walk you through what would it take to be able to get you to isolate safely at home. And most importantly, make sure that your household members are also um, safe in that household if you can afford or be able to live in that same same household. Um, And then the second piece was we ship a kit to that household that include things like gloves and paper plates and hand sanitizers and others that are critical to make sure that household that household transmission 
um, is stopped. And the last part that we made available to those members who are testing positive is the ability to talk to a, um, um, a, a person who would help them with any social needs that they might have. You know, it might be easy for many of us to be able to quarantine or isolate safely at home for two weeks or 10 days or 14 days. But for others, it's a lot harder. There might be food issues. There might be other issues that they need help with. So we create that support network to support our members uh, with their social health needs while they're quarantining. Um, and we've been running this program now for many, many months. We're now had a mark of over a thousand calls, a thousand engagements every day. And we've shipped literally thousands and thousands of kits to, to people's homes. So that's why household transmission is so critical and paying attention to that is so critical in curbing that, that pandemic. We don't talk about housing a lot on a healthcare podcast, but I know that that's really important for you when talking about uh, the whole patient and, and when you're speaking with your members. And it's no secret that with this pandemic, we've seen an exposure of systemic problems in our housing affordability crisis. So I want to ask you, um, because I know that this has come up with your members too, what do you think the future of affordable housing looks like post-pandemic? And why, if you could talk about this too, why this is such a big issue with you and how Kaiser Permanente is addressing this with your members? Great. Well, Laura, I'm actually going to start from the second part of your question. You know, we have known for a very, very long time that housing and health are so interconnected. We can't expect someone to live a healthy life if they don't have a stable roof over their head. And we've learned that from research, we've learned that from studies year after year, and honestly, we know that from common sense. You know, we know that housing and health are so interconnected. We know that on average, a person experiencing homelessness is gonna live about 27 years less than someone who's housed. Uh, we know that if you're homeless and you're admitted to the hospital, chances are you're gonna stay two to three days longer in the hospital. And we also know that if you're homeless and you're discharged from the hospital, um, your chances of being readmitted are 50% higher. So we know that those connections are there. Um, we know total cost of care is three to four times higher, mortality three to four times higher. So for an organization like Kaiser Permanente that's really about health, we can't but also be about housing. So that's kind of the, the framework, if you want, Laura, that um, that helped us kind of focus on, on housing as an integral part of paying attention um, to health. And then the pandemic hit. And when the pandemic hit, it became very clear that the health of our nation and its unsheltered population are inseparably linked. And that pandemic made this reality even more clear. Um, you know, the, the, the pandemic has put already um, a tremendous stress on our nation's healthcare system, our public health infrastructure, but it also is threatening to kind of deepen the inequities that we're seeing, and particularly uh, when it comes to housing and homelessness. And that's why very early on in the pandemic, we've committed to partner with the National Healthcare for the Homeless Council. We've supported um, their effort to help build guidelines and protocols to support um, healthcare providers on the front line, shelter workers, um, outreach workers on how to stay safe in that environment. We've supported um, a variety of community-based organizations across our foot. 
that are working to make sure that we are protecting people experiencing homelessness. And just most recently, we've committed $25 million to support um, the Project Home Key here in California that's creating thousands of affordable housing units in um, across the state. So I think that link is so critical. And one other thing I do want to put a plug for that I'm really proud of um, and, and to help us bring more attention to the crisis, we've recently worked with an independent documentary filmmaker to create a, um, a short film series. We called it the, home, uh, the Way Home that's really examining the human impact of the homelessness crisis and pointing to promising solutions in California and across um, the nation. So anybody's listening to this podcast, I would um, encourage them to check it out. It's called The Way Home, and now it's, um, it's available on uh, Google Play, Amazon Prime, and, um, and iTunes. Um, it's really, we really have to leverage our heightened awareness and compassion for, this, for the unique needs of this population across the country. Health insurance providers are working around the clock to ensure that all Americans can receive a COVID-19 vaccine free of cost. That includes partnering with state and local public health authorities to identify individuals who should be placed at the front of the line to receive the vaccine. Visit ahip.org to learn more about what health insurance providers are doing to help get Americans vaccinated. We know that the pandemic has not just been a public health issue, uh, but that has created, you know, tremendous economic stress as well. And when you think about the downstream consequences of that, we know that a record number of Americans are, are facing now food insecurity, uh, in addition to being, you know, anxious about health care. And a lot of families are turning to food banks for the first time. Can you maybe talk about the connection between diet food security and the impact that COVID-19 has had on all of this? Absolutely. Well, I think, Matt, we, we all agree that no one in America should go to bed hungry. And the ability to access and afford enough nutritious food to support a healthy life is so critical um, to health. And yet we knew before the pandemic that food insecurity is a major, major crisis in this country. So before the pandemic, one in nine households were dealing with food insecurity. That's 37 million people in this country were dealing with food insecurity. Today, that number is closer to one in six households. And the numbers are even more striking in kids. One in five kids in this country are dealing with food insecurity. And as a result of the pandemic, we've seen that almost every one of the food banks, 98% of food banks have reported an increase in demand uh, for food assistance. So as health system that's taking care of, of 12.4 million members, we realize that we can play a role in connecting with those systems that are supporting people in our communities particularly around, uh, around food access. And even before the pandemic, we've realized that many of our members 
qualified for uh, food stamps or the supplemental nutrition program and yet never applied for it and never tapped into it. So before the pandemic started, we, um, we initiated an intervention that helped identify members who we thought would qualify for food stamps, but not having it. And we've designed that effort to support them through text messaging, phone call centers, all the way to help them sub, um, submit an application to that program across, um, across our communities. And over the last few months, that effort actually accelerated um, across our footprint. And I'm really happy to report that 67,000 of our members have completed their application to um, submit, uh, to, to get access to food stamps across our footprint just from this one intervention alone. And we do think that these types of interventions are so critical. I mean, this is just money that, that those members qualify for, their benefits from the federal government, that they can get those dollars to their pocket, spend it at their local grocery store and put food at their dinner table absolutely a no-brainer. And we're really excited about the ability to support those 67,000 members through this process. Um, another part of the effort that we've been uh, focusing on is around medically tailored meals. And we know that this is a um, an important intervention that supports people who are being discharged from the hospitals with food insecurity. And this is one key intervention that we know would make a difference in um, optimizing the health of those members who are being discharged from the hospital, uh, lower readmission rate, hopefully be also um, not just improve health outcomes, but also lower total cost of care. And we've um, enrolled, um, and we're actually piloting this program right now in uh, three of our markets, and we've distributed thousands and thousands and thousands of, of uh, meals um, to those members' homes as a result of this effort. And then the last thing I'll add, um, Matt, is we um, launched a, um, a call center as a result of the, after the pandemic hit to support our members with their social needs. And if any of our members across any part of our footprint have issues with food insecurity, housing instability, transportation issues, financial strain, they can pick up the phone and call uh, one of our um, um, call centers to support them with resources to help them deal with that. And I have to tell you that one third of the calls to that call center are directly related um, to food insecurity. Those are members who are seeking assistance with, uh, with food. So food insecurity becomes such a critical point in helping us optimize the health of our members. Wow, these numbers that you're throwing out today are very, very um, alarming and um, so insightful too. So um, I appreciate you shedding light on all of this. Um, you know, it's also it's on, on the in the in the Department of Hope. <laughs> it's looking like many Americans will have access to um, a COVID vaccine at some point in 2021. However, there is still a lot of hesitancy among communities of color to get that vaccine. So what should we be doing right now to build trust in those communities and to ensure that everyone has access to the vaccine? What should we be doing? What can we be doing at this point to build that trust? Well, let me, uh, let me start, Laura, by acknowledging what you've said. The approval of the, the Pfizer vaccine and soon the Moderna vaccine is a huge turning point in the way we're um, fighting this pandemic. You know, we, I can 
for the first time see a light at the end of the tunnel. Unfortunately, that tunnel is still very, very long and it's gonna be a tough few months ahead until we get to uh, people getting their vaccine, but it's really promising to see um, the progress on um, making sure that those vaccines are available, are safe, are distributed um, um, across the country. Um, and most importantly, there is an equity in the way we're distributing and making sure that those vaccines are available to our communities. Uh -huh. um, I, I think the, the engagement from the FDA, the CDC, the guidance that are coming out, every state that we're in, that I'm engaged in, state health departments, local health departments, health systems, hospitals, health plans, everybody's rolling up their sleeves and wanting to go all the way in to make sure that we're making the vaccines available and addressing some of those issues that you brought up around hesitancy and others. A um, Couple of things I'd wanna add. One, we've known that this pandemic has disproportionately impacted people of color um, across the country. Mm -hmm. uh, we know that people of color are um, getting diagnosed more often, getting hospitalized more often, dying more often than, um, 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 than the rest of the country. And it becomes even more important that we make the vaccines available to those communities. Um, it's also important to protect our healthcare workers. And I'm really um, happy to see the big focus on healthcare workers as part of the first phase of who qualifies for the vaccine. And it's also important to protect our nursing homes. 40% of deaths as a result of the pandemic are residents of these skilled nursing facilities and others. So um, I think we have a long road ahead on the vaccination. Um, I think this is a this is not just about the vaccines, this is about a vaccination effort, an immunization effort that needs to cover the whole country. Um, and I'm really excited about the road ahead and I am fully aware of how many challenges we're gonna have to deal with along the way, but I absolutely see the light at the end of the tunnel. So building that trust, is it communication? Is it putting out messaging? Communication is going to be extremely important. I think thinking about what our immunization campaign needs to look like, yeah. how do we leverage influencers across our communities right. is going to be extremely important. How do we lift up this, the, the voices of the doctors and the nurses, the community members who are trusted in the communities? What's our um, uh, messaging on social media, on, on um, TV, on airwaves? All of that becomes yeah extremely important to be able to uh, continue to build the trust and build on the momentum of getting more and more people right. vaccinated. Let me ask you quickly about, about schools because reopening schools has been a particularly sensitive issue causing anxiety when you weigh the, the risk of transmission with you know keeping in mind the essential role that schools play as a safety net for families. Um, our, my school district has yet to get back to in-person learning. My I've got three kids in my house right now who are in, in remote learning right now. So I'd like to get your take on this issue. Can we reopen schools and get kids back in the classroom safely? Well, let me let me just start by by saying that this is such an important issue that we have to address as a country, and we have to be able to think about this issue from a um, um, from a national perspective and a national priority. I think the COVID nineteen pandemic has underscored 
just how much children and families depend on schools, not just as sites for quality education and supervision, but also as community anchors for you know, social interaction, emotional support, nutritional, uh, nutritious meals, and, and healthcare. And I think our, our nation's education system is navigating right now daunting challenges to ensure the health and well-being of students, of staff, of teachers, um, with, uh, um, and I'm happy to say that, with an emphasis on equity uh, for students. So I do think that it's possible to reopen the school safety uh, safely. We have to do that. We have to figure out how to do that. We have to make sure that the, the schools across the country have the resources to be able to do that. It's not a, a no cost type of approach to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Schools have to have plans in place to be able to support the safe reopening. We have to make sure that testing is available so much easier and a much lower cost for students and teachers and and, and uh, school staffs to be able to do that. We have to ensure distancing in those classrooms. I mean, there's so much, so much that can be done and it has to be done well and funding for schools becomes even more critical to be able to do that safely. And, and I have to tell you, I mean, as an organization, we, we engage with literally thousands of schools across the country uh, because we truly believe that education and health are so interconnected as well. And Earlier this year, along with more than 30 national recognized and trusted uh, school health organizations, we've developed a playbook to help equip school and, and district leaders with guidance and safe um, operating procedures for keeping these school communities mentally and um, physically safe. Um, and that's an important part of our contribution. And I would encourage your uh, audience to check out that playbook. We're really excited about it. And we know it's being uh, looked at very closely by a lot of school districts across the country. Bashar, you painted such a vivid portrait of how interconnected all of these issues are uh, when you think about health and all of the social related needs. And it's been great to have you here today. And we always ask uh, our guests one final question. Uh, we know that Kaiser Permanente is clearly invested in the social needs of its members. And so here, here's the big question. What do you think the next big thing in health is? Well, let me, uh, let me start by saying, Matt, that I think the next big thing for us as a country is getting us past the pandemic in 2021. <laughs> and I am uh, um, looking forward to uh, um, seeing that journey, getting the country and the world past the pandemic. Um, so I think that is really the, the next big thing for us. And, and, and I think vaccination is going to be an important, huge aspect of getting that, um, that done. Now, Fast forward past the pandemic, and I do believe that we have as a country to start thinking about health more broadly. I think for a lot of us, when we think about health, we think about physical health or we think about mental health. And I truly believe we're at a point in our history that we have to start thinking about also the social health of people living in this country as an integral part of the way we think about health. So for us to be able to optimize the health of people, we have to be thinking about their physical health, their mental health, and their social health. And we have to be able to integrate all of that together and get to a point where we have as a country networks of 
primary care docs and specialists to take care of the physical health of our um, uh, people. We have to have networks of counselors and therapists and psychiatrists to take care of the mental health of people. And we have to start building networks of social health providers to be there to support people's housing need, food need, transportation need, social connection need, financial strain need. And when we do all of that in an interconnected way, that's when we optimize the health of people living in this country and in the world. And then the, the, the other thing that has to go in parallel with that as a country, we have to reinvest in the public health infrastructure so that we don't have to deal with pandemics down the line the way we had to struggle dealing with this current pandemic. And unless we get to a point where we're reinvesting in our public health infrastructure, doubling down on our public health infrastructure for, for generations to come, we're always gonna to have to deal with these public health threats. So bringing the healthcare system, the public health system closer together would be an important part. And honestly, I think that I'm hoping this would be the silver lining from this pandemic that we're dealing with today. Such an important point to make at the very end. Uh, Dr. Bashara Shukar, thank you so much for being with us here today on the next big thing in health. It's been great. Thank you, so insightful. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Laura, for having me. Vaccines save lives, and they're essential to helping us overcome the COVID-19 crisis. Health insurance providers are actively working with their local, state, and federal partners to ensure widespread uptake of COVID-19 vaccines and halt the spread of the disease. Working together, we can and will overcome the COVID-19 crisis. Visit ahip.org to learn more about what health insurance providers are doing to help get Americans vaccinated. <laughs>